brilliant. Well, it's great uh, to be with you uh, this morning. Um, lots of faces that I've, I think I have seen many years ago, um, as I've bobbed through uh, before. But great to be here this morning to dwell with you. Um, this morning we're going to be thinking uh, through one of uh, the fruits of the Spirit, uh, dwelling and soaking in what it means to be people who are being changed by God, being grown by God, bearing fruit under God. As Galatians 5, uh, 16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk with the Spirit. Paul's call to the Galatian Christians was to walk by the Spirit, leaving behind their old ways of life before they knew Jesus, leaving a life marked by a desire to serve the cravings of the flesh, and instead being led by the Spirit, being grown by God into the people that we were created to be. And in many ways, the fruit of the Spirit um, can't and, and shouldn't be separated um, often growing in one area will lead to growth in many other areas too. Uh, but it can be good sometimes to sit, to dwell on um, on each of the fruits in turn and to, uh, to think about how they grow in our lives. As God seeks to grow us to be more like Jesus and less like the world we left behind. This growth may not be obvious day by day month by month, week by week, Uh, but like a fruit tree, given time, this growth will become more and more evident in our lives. It's not a passive work, it's something that we're called on to pursue, to work at, and so I hope as we turn our thinking this morning to the fruit of goodness, it will encourage us, it will challenge our hearts, and it will help us to follow our great King more and more. But what is goodness? What does it mean to be good? What does it look like to be a good person? Or to take it more personally, have you ever found yourself asking the question, am I a good person? Am I a person of goodness? Deep down, I think that's one of the deepest, strongest uh, questions for humans today. It causes great anxiety. It causes huge confusion. It causes insecurity. Am I a good person? Am I a person of goodness? It's a question that our world is finding harder and harder to answer as well. The goalposts, the definition that our world seems to say of uh, what uh, a good or bad person is, seems to change week by week. depends who you talk to. Our world's confused and, and often sometimes in the church we can be confused too. I mean, the word good is everywhere around us. We've heard it 15 times already this morning. And in preparation for this morning, I I turned to the most trustworthy device I know. I turned to my Google Home, and I 
said, uh, <coughs> am I a good person? And Google's response was, well, I like you. <laughs> I think that's a very little snippet into what our world thinks. Our world thinks that if people like you, then you must be good. But what happens if someone doesn't like you? Is that right? Is goodness what we want it to be? Is it defined by us? Does it change day by day, generation by generation? Well, this morning we're going to see that the heart of goodness is found solely in our great God, as he reveals himself in the Bible. So let's say we're going to uh, spend a bit of time in Psalm 34, and then we're going to move to Ephesians 2 um, before the end. So as we start to answer these questions, let's turn to the Bible and see the goodness of God. Press the button many, many times. Yes. Press it until something happens. Um, the goodness of God. If you, um, it doesn't take long when we turn to the Bible, does it, to come across the idea of goodness? It's right there, front and centre of page one, Genesis one. God creates the world. God creates the universe. He creates the world, day and night, land and sea, birds and fish and animals and humans. And He looks at what He's made. And he says, it is good. At the end of Genesis chapter 1, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And when you boil God down right to his core, when you strip everything else away, that's what we're left with. What you are left with is goodness. Everything God is, everything God does springs from the fact that he is good in every single way. God is the one that defines goodness. And every glimpse of true goodness in our world is a glimpse of God shining through. The unfolding story of the Bible is an invitation to come, to get to know the good God. An invitation to come into a relationship with the good God of the universe. But what is goodness? Um, Exodus 33.19 should appear on the screen. It might not. Um, and this, is, this comes just after the golden calf incident. So Mo, Israel have turned away from God. Moses is, um, has a leadership crisis. He turns to God and asks him if he is still with Israel. And this is God's response. He said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim the name, the Lord, before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he added, you cannot see my face, for humans cannot see me and live. Moses asked God to show him that he is with the Israelites, and God responds saying his whole goodness will pass before him. What does that, good, what does that look like? Well, God's goodness, I think, is his loving, his merciful, his generous graciousness. Because God is good, he loves compassionately whoever he chooses. Because he is good, he shows mercy to those who don't deserve it. Because he is good, he shows grace, giving abundant good gifts and blessings. This is who God is, right at his core, right at the heart of who he is. This is the God of goodness. And in Psalm 34, we meet someone who very much knows how good God is. 
Um, so if you close your Bibles, do turn back uh, to page 512, um, and, uh, and we'll see in Psalm 34 um, what David thinks about God. And in Psalm 34, we find David, and to look at him, you'd have to say his life is anything but good. This psalm is written um, at the time when um, David has been chased out of Israel by Saul. He is running for his life and he ends up in the city of Gath, the city of Goliath, the city of God's enemies. And his life is in so much trouble that his only choice um, is to pretend to be a madman in order for his life to be spared. David's life is at a real low point here. It's really hard. There is trouble and hardship everywhere around him. Maybe you can relate to that at the moment. Maybe that's a little snapshot of your life. Or maybe you know folk who are going through times like that. His life is really hard. And yet look at his song in verse 1. He says, I will bless at all times. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Dear David is running for his life. But he has no doubt about his relationship with God, does he? God is to be praised. God is to be boasted about. God, and David wants everyone to hear how great God is, doesn't he? He calls those around him, those who are struggling, who are afflicted, to join in his song, to praise God's name together. And he gives a great reason for his confidence. Did you see it in verse 4? He says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who, fit, those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps round those who fear him and delivers them. When David was in the pit, when David's life was right in the darkest places, when he knew he was a poor man, when he knew he was in deep, deep trouble, he sought the Lord. He looked for him. He called out to God. David personally knows that deep joy of knowing God. God heard him. God answered him. God covered his shame. God rescued him. David knows his saving power. David knows his mighty hand. And he wants everyone to know it too. So he calls those who hear him, those who might be in a similar trial, to do a very strange thing. He might recognise their need for rescue. Did you see it in verse 8? David calls them and says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer, uh, the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Taste, taste and see that the Lord is good. How, it sounds so strange, doesn't it, to our ears? How do you taste goodness? Is it a McDonald's Happy Meal? Is it a deliciously cooked tomahawk steak? Is it smashed avocado on toast? How do you taste God? Well, David would say that that's just what he's done. In all the moments of his life, 
he's found God. He's found God's goodness right there. He's experienced the goodness of God in the highs, and most particularly in the lows, in the depths of darkness. When he is in danger of falling, God rescues. He nourishes, he provides. And every Christian has a tale of God's goodness, don't we? A tale of how God has shown he is reliable, he is trustworthy, he is true. Time and time again, God proves that he is the one that provides everything that we need. Nourishment for our souls, for our bodies, for our minds. And David wants us to join him, to taste his goodness, to give him a lick, to dig into God and give him a try, to rely on him, to take refuge in him and see how good he really is. And he gives us a glimpse of what that looks like. It starts with fearing God. Not like you might be scared of ants, or spiders, or heights, but respecting and honouring him like a teacher at school. David's challenge is to put God in the right place in our life, and watch everything else fall into place around him. Do you see what David says again back in verse 8? He said, blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who lack him, who fear him, have no lack. Well, God's blessing is an invitation to live the life that we were made for, to an invitation to true happiness, to true blessing. Putting our life in God's hands, honouring Jesus as our King. And David tells us how to access this. If you look at verse 11, he says, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days, that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The root of the good life, the root so the good life comes through listening to God. Hearing his words, learning the fear of the Lord. God's words are good. Over in Hebrews 6, Christians are described as those who have tasted the goodness of the words of God. And so if like me, you sometimes pick up your Bible as a chore, you sometimes look at hearing from God as a job to get through, then this is a massive challenge to us to repent, isn't it? To refocus, to reshape our minds. When we open God's Word, we hold the very good words of our very good Father in Heaven, who longs for our good. And listening to these good words will change our lives from evil, won't it? Turns us from evil to pursuing goodness, pursuing peace instead of war. God promises a rescue, a restoration to those who call on His name. If you glance down at the last few verses, as David gives us beautiful pictures of what that looks like. Verse 15 The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, and His ears towards their cry. God hears us, God sees us. Verse 17, he delivers them out of all of their troubles. Verse 18, the Lord is near to the broken heart and the crushed in spirit. Verse 19, it doesn't matter how big our troubles are, he will rescue us from them all. Verse 20, he protects us. Verse 22, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. That is such a good picture of life, isn't it? I don't know how your week's been, 
the things you've been struggling with, the frustrations of children misbehaving, or the sorrow of illness, the stress of work deadlines, or the worry of unemployment. The cost of living crisis, battles with mental health or anxiety, frustrations at not managing more rest, or more time in God's word, or more time with our brothers and sisters in Christ. But brothers and sisters, we have a God who is wonderfully good. We have a God who invites us to taste him, to test him, so he can prove time and time again how good he really truly is. God is utterly, beautifully good. And he's called us to live the good life under him. But we've seen glimpses already of the great tension that runs throughout the Bible. God is a good God, but by nature, we as humans are not good. David praises God as a rescuer because he has been rescued by the good rescuer. Which is our second point this morning, the good rescuer. We got a glimpse of the problem earlier in Exodus. Uh, where we saw in Exodus 33, God finished it, you cannot see my face, for humans cannot see me and live. God is a good God, but as humans by nature we are not good people. If we want to enjoy the deep nourishing relationship that God offers, then we need to be rescued. Uh, turn with me now, if you will, to page 1079 to Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, I want to read um, from there. Read 1079, Ephesians 2. Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with, with, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in, in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Mankind needs a rescue because of what we were. Did you see in verse 1? In our natural state, Paul says we are dead. In our trespasses and sins. Cut off from life. Cut off from God. And dead people cannot be good people. Look at how Paul described us in verse 2. He says, We walked in the ways of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, 
who is even now still at work in sons of disobedience. That's those who don't trust Jesus, who are anti-God, who are anti-good, disobedient, selfish, following the ways of our world and doing what we want without reference to God. By nature, we deserve God's wrath, his anger, his judgment. On our own, we cannot be good because we have cut off from God. And dead people can't do anything, can they? Dead people can't save themselves. Now, this isn't something that we like to think about as humans, is it? To think of those that we love, to think of those who don't know Jesus as evil, as bad. And it's important to say if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, then I'm thrilled you're here. I know this is hard to hear at times, but I'm thrilled you're here because this is something we all need to hear. We all need to hear what God says rather than the voices of the world. So please do keep listening to God's word. It's not easy, it's not comfortable at times, but we need to hear God's words of life. Because it's not just Paul that says this. Jesus says it himself uh, in Matthew 7, um, which may be on the screen, um, but uh, I'll read it. Um, or which one of you, if his sons ask him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus calls the crowds to him that he's speaking to, and he calls them evil. But he acknowledges that even in their evilness, that evil people are still capable of doing good acts. Fathers, uh, we know this good down, don't we? We see and experience folk doing good things uh, each and every day. And that's right, because we're made by a good God, all of us. And even though folk have turned away from God, even though we have turned to evil, we can still do good, still do some good. But doing some good things won't make us good people. Because they lack the lavish, loving, merciful, generous, gracious goodness of God. Jesus isn't saying that, that doing kind deeds for someone or giving money to charity or feeding the poor are, are bad things, they're good. But he's saying that they are good things, but they fall far short of the goodness of God. They're a, they're a pale imitation, they're a, a plaster trying to cover up the evil inside, or they're like that, that wet paper towel at school that seems to fix every problem that you could have. Every bump, scrape or bruise. Our world wants to only ever focus on the tiny patches of good and ignore the mass of evil in our world. But because God is good, because Jesus wants us to accept his rescue, he shows us who we really are, shows us that we're dead in our sins. But because God is good, because he shows us that we're deserving of his wrath and his judgment. But thankfully Paul doesn't stop there, Jesus doesn't stop there. Because of God's goodness, he celebrates Jesus' rescue. Look down in verse 4 of Ephesians 2. He says, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. God's goodness is all there, isn't it? His loving, merciful, generous graciousness. 
He rescues us through Jesus. He brings us from death to life, from evil to good, from wrath to salvation. He transforms us from evil people, capable of the occasional good things, to people of goodness. All by faith, all through trusting Jesus, all through accepting his offer of rescue. It's all achieved through Jesus. By his death on the cross, in our place, he bought our forgiveness for every wrong we've ever done, for our rebellion against him. But that's not where his goodness ends. Often I find myself thinking that God's goodness is found in our forgiveness. But it doesn't stop there. At the cross, Jesus not only takes our punishment so that we can be forgiven. He gives us his goodness too. Did you see that in verse 6? Paul said, And he raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. In his goodness, when we trust him, we are brought into Christ. All of God's goodness is shown, is shared with us. Well, why does he rescue us? So that God can show his immeasurable riches of his grace. So that God can be kind to us in Christ Jesus. God's rescued us so that we can know his goodness. We can know his experience and experience the life with him as king. The life that we were made for. So that we can taste and see his goodness. It's a promise not just for now, but for the life everlasting. We deserve wrath and hell by ourselves. But he gives us life now and life to come in the new creation. Where everything is good, where everything is pure. We've just finished Revelations of Church Families, so you've seen that beautiful picture of where our world is heading. And it's his gift, so that we can we can never boast about it. And in it he's given us a new purpose. In verse ten, as he finishes this section, he says, For we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. That we should walk in them. God's good rescue gives us good purpose now. When we are rescued by Christ, we are put, when we put our trust in Jesus, we are transformed. We're given a new job as, as literally God's handyman, God's hands and feet and mouthpiece in our worlds. Christians are the way that God has chosen to work out His good ways in our world. What a privilege, what a pleasure, what a what an honour. We've been creating Christ Jesus to do good works in him. But that might seem like a lot of responsibility. That might seem scary. But thankfully the good things that he's... The good thing is that God's goodness, in God's goodness, he's already prepared them for us. So every day God gives us opportunities to be a blessing to our worlds. To speak his life-giving words. To care for those who are struggling. To lift up the needy. To love the unloved. God has rescued us to be his mouth, his hands, his feet. To show goodness to a dying world. 
what a privilege and a joy that is. And it's all worked out from our relationship with God. The Psalms give beautiful pictures of this. Psalm 23, David sings, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In Psalm 27, David sings, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. When we place our trust in Jesus, we are brought from death to life. We are transformed from evil to good. And in one sense, that change is instant. Our status has changed. When God looks at us, he sees Jesus' goodness and not our own evil. In one sense, it's instantaneous. But in our experience here and now, we can tend to see a gradual reshaping of our life. A gradual growing fruitiness. Gradually being transformed into Jesus' goodness as we live under his kingship. So as we conclude, let's reflect on growing in goodness. Growing in goodness. Because we've seen this morning that God is good and goodness is God. Shown in his lavish, loving, merciful, generous graciousness to us. We've seen in our natural state we are evil people only capable of occasional good things. But because of Jesus' death, God's goodness transforms us and brings us from death to life, from judgment to the courts of the king, where we can live good lives as God intended, being a force for good in the world. Well, what will that look like? I've got a couple of thoughts uh, to help us get started with it. Um, firstly, taste and see that the Lord is good. Listen to David. Taste and see that the Lord is good. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, then hopefully you've seen in God's word the goodness of God. Can I invite you to take up David's challenge? To taste and see that the Lord is good for yourself. It can be hard to admit that we're not the good people we like to think of ourselves as. But God is utterly beautiful. He is utterly good. And his greatest desire is for you to know that goodness for yourself. So taste him for yourself. Dig into him. Dig into his word, the Bible. Why not ask someone here to read the Bible with you? It's a great place to start because on every single page you will come face to face with his goodness. And if we're here this morning, we are trusting Jesus. We need to taste and see that the Lord is good for ourselves as well. See that he is good again and again. If we've walked with God a while, it's easy to become complacent. It's easy to become comfortable um, in our lives. I know I need to keep having my thinking about God challenged and changed and grow, coming face to face with him in his words. I need to remember that God's word contains the nourishment that our souls need. I need to hear David's challenge, to taste God's goodness, to keep digging into God's word, to keep chatting about it as a church family. Because through it, God is growing us to be more like him. Secondly, I think he calls us to rejoice in God's goodness. We have been called into a, a glorious relationship with God, haven't we? Uh, so spend time reflecting on God's goodness. Join with David's cry in Psalm 34 verse 5. 
where he said, those who look to him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. And the more I've reflected on God's goodness, the more he's caused me to rejoice. That we have been called into a relationship with our glorious good God. So often our eyes, our thoughts, are filled with the troubles of the world right in front of us. So often our sight of God's goodness gets clouded out by the hard things we see and face every day. But above all the trials of the world is our God of goodness working through them to bring our good. And in Christ we have an intimate relationship with him. So rejoice. And thirdly, listen to David and pursue goodness. Pursue goodness. Get ready to grow. If we know and trust King Jesus, then he is at work in our lives. Changing us, transforming us by his spirit. As we open God's word, as we grow to obey his words, then expect growth. But often, if you're like me, we can be poor judges of our character. We can far too often see our sin and not our growth, which is why it's so great that we're not here alone. Chat to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Ask them how they've seen growth in you over the last weeks, the last months, the last years. Sometimes it's fast, sometimes it's painfully slow. But like a tree growing and bearing fruit, be assured that Christ is at work in our lives. There will be fruit. But at the same time, we need to be active. We need to be active in our discipleship, pursuing goodness, not waiting for it to come. Taking the opportunities to be God's hands and feet and mouthpiece. So brothers and sisters, let us grow into our goodness together. So often I think we're tempted to think of ourselves as the worst of sinners. But as we finish, I want to encourage us with Paul's words from Romans 15. Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. This is in the same letter that Paul wrote that there is no one righteous, no one good, no one loves God, no one understands, all have walked away. And yet just 12 chapters later, he writes to this same church family and says, I am convinced that you are full of goodness, that you are people of goodness. Because of the majestic work of Jesus, because of the transforming power of the cross, Paul can write to this church, and I'm sure he could write it to this church this morning, say that they are full of goodness. Well, how does he know? Well, because they are filled with the knowledge of God. They know God's words. They love God's words. And they are capable and competent to instruct one another. In Paul's eyes, in God's eyes, those who are full of goodness know who God truly is. And seek to tell others about him. Which is something we can all grow to do more and more. It springs from our knowledge of God, so chew deeply on his word. Speak to your own heart, speak to your family, speak to your friends, and join with David in this great song of Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together.
I'm going to lead us in prayer together now and then we'll stand and exalt his name together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that you are good. Thank you that you have revealed your goodness to us in your words. Thank you, Father, that you have rescued us through your Son. Father, thank you that when we were dead in our sins, you sent Jesus to give us life. Thank you that we can share in Jesus' goodness. That we can trust in his rescue. That we can put on his goodness and be freed from our evil. Please help us, Father, to know your goodness better. Please work in us as we seek to live out life as your good people. Be at work in our hearts, Lord. Be at work in our thoughts, be at work in our words, be at work in our actions. Father, we pray that many, many, many more people would take and see your goodness and take refuge in you. Amen.